0: Welcome to Sex Ed Rewind, reflections on how we learn about sex. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sex Ed Rewind. I'm so excited to invite our next guest and introduce him. A very good friend of mine, Mr. Spencer Harvey. Spencer is an LGBTQ and human rights activist. He holds a master's degree in global affairs from NYU, which is specialized in global gender studies and research surrounding LGBTQ rights He's currently the Communications and Campaigns Coordinator at GLAAD, the leading LGBTQ media advocacy org, working to accelerate acceptance and equality for the LGBTQ community. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, Carol. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh my God. Obviously, anytime. <laughs> so how are you doing this week?
1: I'm doing good. Um, working through it.
0: Okay, awesome. So let's dive right into it. We always start our guests off with our intro questions to kind of set the scene. A young Spencer Harvey, who was he? You know what I mean? What was he up to? So our first question, (laughs) your favorite band, favorite fashion trend, and favorite slang word from when you were a teen, when you were in your high school years.
1: Oh, wow. I mean, band's a tough one because I was never really into, like, the band scene. Like, my friends were obsessed with Panic at the Disco and, like, Fall Out Boy, but I was just always way more into, like, pop divas, like Rihanna and Lady Gaga and Katy Perry. I mean, Rihanna's still, like, one of my favorite artists, so... I mean, that would be my answer for that.
0: <laughs> so nothing's changed since high school.
1: Not Absolutely nothing's changed. Rihanna's still my favorite person ever. Lady Gaga's an icon, everything.
0: Yeah. I think we should let the listeners know that you did get the Rihanna book for your birthday last year.
1: I did, and it is sitting on my coffee table, so... A shrine. Favorite fashion trend? Oh, wow. I was sadly a victim of the Hollister Abercrombie um, hole. <laughs> <all. laughs> Whole well, issue there like I just
0: victim I, is the right I, word
1: and um <laughs> I like worshipped those um, stores and anytime I was in a mall I would rush in there when I was younger like my dad never gave me money for clothes like I always had to like save up my money and that was the first thing I spent it on so
0: yeah I mean um, all of your savings going to Hollister is like is
1: pretty tragic truly tragic and then favorite slang word. I mean, I guess I like kind of started speaking in acronyms like TTYL and like BRB. Like I would probably say that's maybe something I caught on to and mm. actually still has <laughs> continued with me into my adult years, sadly. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be it. I just like talked in MSN.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. So now, now we have a vision of a young Spence. So let us know when you were in high school, what town or city, what decade, and what kind of school was it? Was it public, private, religious? Let us know a little bit about the school.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a town called Aurelia, which is in Ontario, Canada. It's about 30,000 people, Um, so it's a pretty small town and predominantly a white town town. I started high school in 2008. So, um, I was there into early 2010s and it was a Catholic school. I just grew up Catholic. I always went to Catholic school.
0: Mhm. So that's going to make this conversation extra juicy. It sure we love a Catholic school.
1: Had <laughs> <laughs> my like uniform, everything. They
0: were like, no Hollister is allowed in this school.
1: (laughs) Except for our like what they called Sibby's Days on every last Friday of the month, which I decked myself out in Hollister.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. It's really good. It's really good. Okay. So let's dive into the juicy bits. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Did you receive any type of sex education at your Catholic high school in Canada?
1: From what I recall, in grade nine or ninth grade, my sex education was like, completely limited to like focusing on anatomy and like the reproductive system but like not about sex itself um not about contraceptive use and although it wasn't like overtly pushing us i think that this kind of goes back to the fact that i went to a catholic school and that like abstinence only is kind of like the way. And like I said, even though it wasn't pushing us, that it's just reflected in how w- how much I learned when I was at my school. So that was like really the extent of it. Like a- anything that I learned about sex in high school, was like through my friends.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so whether, when in classes, it's or like on the internet, but like classes itself, it was just very um, about reproductive health.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was like super biology heavy, not really any part of like the Uh, cultural side of sex or even like the sex specific scientific info.
1: Yeah. Not at all. Like we, not like we didn't learn how to put a condom on. We like Mm -hmm. those those things weren't even like brought up. It was just very much like you're just learning about the human body.
0: Mm -hmm. Super sanitized.
1: Here's how like a baby is made. That's literally it.
0: Maybe just maybe.
1: (laughs) Maybe block that (laughs) out perhaps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So in this sort of like mostly biology esque sex ed, who was teaching it?
1: From what I recall, it was in ninth grade, it was my physical education teacher.
0: Mm, so, classic choice. Yeah.
1: And so, also, those are like gender segregated classes. At least it was at my high school. So I like was in a class mm-hmm. of all boys learning about mm-hmm. like both sexes and, the, and reproductive health. But it was like, yeah, it was gender segregated. Great and I'm boys are immature as hell. So <laughs> they're just like, everyone's laughing at the word penis, which is like so sad. But I'm, I just always thought it was so interesting <laughs> how like when I look back on it, like I, w- I wasn't in like a co-ed like biology class learning about it. I was just learning about it with all boys. And mm-hmm. now looking back to that, that seems kind of odd. But mm-hmm. and also very reflective of the fact that I did not learn about sex,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think it's so funny too that like like how you said everyone is laughing at the word penis and like seemingly everyone in the room that was assigned male at birth like had one
1: exactly. So
0: it's like it's your body, like why is it lol? Yeah,
1: it's yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, it's so it's like
0: that shame just starts so young. Like we right. can't even talk about it, you know? Right. Totally, super Absolutely. interesting. Yeah. And just the idea that like there's specific information for specific genders and it's somehow a bad idea to give everyone all the information.
1: Right. I know. I'm sure it came up down the line in other biology class, but like biology wasn't a mandatory class. So like we had science, like the broad science,
0: air quotes, (laughs) science,
1: (laughs) Um, but it, Like when you get into like the more like nitty gritty biology stuff, like that was like opt-in. And so physical education, and I remember like in our physical education classes, it wasn't even like a large curriculum. It was like near the end. It was like our only really thing that we were ever examinated on in like written form. But it was like, it almost had to be like taken completely outside of what we were doing in physical education, like testing my strength. It was like, okay, I guess you should also learn about the reproductive health system. But like very briefly,
0: Right right right. And like what's like what would serve adult Spencer better? Like the push-up test or some quality sex ed, you know?
1: <laughs> Honestly, like both I feel like at the time were really traumatizing <laughs> for me. So
0: You're not wrong. Like both both were bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's such a common experience that sex ed is kind of siloed to a subsection of either health or biology. And it's taught by someone that's like not all that qualified in a way. And in a way, shoving it in the corner like that is really telling um, about how like we as a society don't value the transfer of that information
1: to our young people. Right there had to be a written component that we had to be tested on in physical education. So they're like, okay, let's just like throw this in here Hmm. Um, because they couldn't just like fully (laughs) test me or evaluate me on my like physical strength. And I also (laughs) was like one of the weakest people in the class. So for me, it actually was beneficial because I was like, oh, memorization got this. Like,
0: right. Screw the push-ups, I got this.
1: Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, very telling and also like did not set me up like well at all like (laughs) from that point on how what you're going to learn about the human body and about sex was just oh whether or not you happen to be in the class that was going to make me dig deeper into that
0: yeah we leave so much up to chance like provide the bare minimum amount of like info about the human body and only some of it and then we'll just let everybody figure it out on their own is like kind of the approach
1: yeah, exactly. And um it just it, it's wild to me to think about so it. So wild. Like reflecting back on it is a now I'm like starting to actually like realize how much I was affected by it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And we're going to get into that more a little bit later. Um so you already referenced that most of the info that you did get about sex and and the way that you did learn about sex as a young person was not through school. So can you tell us a little, a little bit about where you went to learn about sex?
1: I should I guess I should mention that I identify as gay. But in high school, I was in the closet or not out. So for me, that was also something that I was was grappling with, was like, where do I fit into this narrative? So like a lot of my friends obviously were like starting to talk about sex. Some of them had already started having sex. So these conversations are like surrounding in high school. Obviously, things travel fast. My, my graduating class had like 250 people in it. So the people I'm in mm-hmm. class with, I'm seeing very regularly. And so I think like you start just from peer to peer, you start learning more about sex. You start hearing more about what people are doing, the different kinds of things that um, people are engaging in. And then other than that, I would probably say where I learned more about like my sexuality or like my like gay sex in particular would be porn because I was, as someone who was like very, Closeted and like did not want anyone to find out. I was so even like calculated with where I went to get my information. Like I didn't want to talk about even, I didn't even want to mention the word gay or like what anything that like would assume that I was with my friends or with my peers. I didn't even really know anybody in my class who, or like in my graduating class who was gay. So I definitely did it very like discreetly. And I would say that porn was probably one of the places I went to kind of like. I guess, see a view of like gay sex as normal. Um, But then also, so it was like reassuring to an extent, but then also like it gives you a distorted view of what that, (laughs) the world of sex looked like. So um, I wouldn't say that like using porn as my, as my like base of education is productive, but it was the only thing that really like I kind of felt like. Was the thing that like normalized it for me to an extent. Um, I didn't even know the questions to even be like searching on the internet. So yeah, th- that's where I got kind of like the basis, I guess, of my exposure to sex outside of like the heteronormative viewpoint that I was being like surrounded by with my friends and everything.
0: Yeah, and what I think is really brings to the fore about your journey that you just told us is that like abstinence only until marriage education assumes that young people will be satisfied with the bare minimum information, often information that's not correct and doesn't have much to do with actually having sex. But like young people, their bodies are changing. Their hormones are going wild. Like they're going to seek stuff out. If you don't give them the information, they're going to go somewhere else to find it. And like you said, you were looking to have your experience normalized and just to glean anything you could about what it was like to be gay because nobody gave you that information and it's like we're really setting our young people up for failure if we just leave them to their own devices especially as you said if their devices is the world wide web and there's no porn literacy out there you know
1: right and i mean even then like i um I like barely got, I just got a laptop. So like, I mean, even my exposure to the internet is still at that point kind of limited. Like at school, we weren't even using really the internet as much as people would now to like be doing like even just like normal research Mm -hmm. uh, for school and those kinds of things. So Yeah, like, setting me up to only have that space to look for things is also kind of, like, dangerous. Like, who knows what kind of information I'm going to be consuming. For me, it was just, like, I was also just, like, super um, consumed by fear that I did it so, like, carefully and, like, consciously. Like, deleting my browser history, like, all those kinds of things were just, like, in the back of my mind. Luckily, I, I did kind of, I never felt like I had to kind of suppress it internally, like, and say that like, you can't be gay. I always, I always knew that it was part of me and that it was, it was something that I was like okay with to an extent and like grew to like love about myself, of course, but when I was in high school, it was just like, I had no one I could talk to. I couldn't turn to anybody. I didn't know anybody else who was gay. So the only person that I can rely on for information was myself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of my favorite points that I always make when I'm teaching sex ed is that like not giving information is still sending a serious message about the information that you're not giving. Mm -hmm. So like just because you don't talk about homosexuality or you don't talk about sexuality as a spectrum doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to be erased from the lives and lived experiences of the people in the classroom. Like not talking about it doesn't make it go away.
1: Right. It actually makes it like less safe. Like it's
0: right. Yeah. Because you, you then are forced to say like, okay, they are not talking about this. So therefore I should be ashamed of it. Right. Because if it wasn't shameful, they would have brought it up already.
1: Right. Right. You even just like kind of look at rates of depression and mental health issues amongst like LGBTQ youth. Not saying that it's completely drawn from exactly what we're talking about now, but it's a contributing factor for sure about this idea of like our lives being left out of these conversations. And make, like you said, making people believe that their lives aren't normal.
0: Mm -hmm, Exactly.
1: That's definitely something that I felt. I think it's getting better now. I think that there's so many more resources and it's more, things are more accessible to people as like the internet just keeps growing and social media and visibility for LGBTQ people continues to grow. But my experience, I kind of felt like I was really in like a, in a, in a difficult time between where I didn't necessarily feel that I was like super ashamed e- internally to be gay and that I and I needed to like change myself, but I didn't feel comfortable sharing it with really anybody at the time.
0: And, you know, so lucky that you had somehow that confidence just within you to not feel like you had to internally change, you know, cause not everybody experiences that, which is like, you know, super important to note. And, and something else that was coming up for me when you were talking, we have, we've always had Gaga and Rihanna and, you know, our pop divas that we love, but if you are not getting information at school or, or seeing yourself represented at school, sure you can try porn, but you're also probably going to go to the movies and read books and see TV shows and magazines. And it's like, the representation wasn't there when we were growing up either, you know? So it's not, it's not even as if you could just simply open a magazine or turn on the TV to find yourself represented as um, an LGBTQ youth, you know, It, it was, it wasn't even there. I mean, it still isn't even mostly there, you know?
1: Right. Like, and if there was depictions of LGBTQ people, like it's, it was especially growing up, like very, negative or stereotypical. I do think that like, just because so much of the work that I do at GLAAD is like focused on improving like representation of LGBTQ people in the media, like across so many different forms. And of course it is, it's growing at like an extent that it never has. And that's, I think a reflection of the fact that people are identifying across the spectrum of LGBTQ identities at like a higher rate than ever before, which is like so great and inspiring to see. But then there's just also such a like, complete opposite switch where like people are still also trying to target lgbtq people so we're like definitely a cultural moment that's like very um unique um and i'm interested to see where we go from here but in terms of growing up like it, it was very isolating based on the fact that wherever i looked i didn't necessarily have that thing to grasp onto that was going to like give me that glimmer of hope that i i needed or like reassurance that i needed that like this is exactly how I was going to live my life,
0: right? Like if you saw one gay character in a movie one time, and mm-hmm. they were like suicidal because of their sexuality, and that's all that you got from from gay people represent, like that's so problematic,
1: right? Because then it's then it's like, oh, is that how I'm supposed to feel? Mm-hmm. Totally. So, yeah, it's it's definitely um, it was definitely something that took me time. And obviously, as I grew older and more comfortable myself, I also just began to, I guess, understand what I was looking for. Um, Mm -hmm. And that also just came with like the cultural changes that have happened with social media, the internet. But yeah, like specifically high school was like definitely a rough time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you feel like you would sort of opt out of conversations about sex entirely? with your friends or what did that look like for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like, I feel like I didn't come out until I was 21. And specifically, definitely through high school. Like I, I guess people, uh, people assumed that I was gay for so many different reasons. Like I was effeminate in different ways. Um, I liked different things that other men typically didn't like. Um,
0: Big air quotes there. We love yeah, it. Yeah,
1: for sure. Like I, like I guess what like an example is just that like my, if I compare myself directly to my brother, like he's three years older than me and he like started high school, like he's a jock. He like played so many different sports and I came in and I was like super interested in drama and like I always was. And I, and I think that like people just, like there's a contrast there that like people really like hang on to and so and like my interest in like music and like I really loved like female pop stars like those kinds of things that people just like continued to add to a list and they're like oh Spencer must be gay so like it wasn't something that I um like it was something that I I heard on a regular basis and I never like really tried to let it bother me but it was always like lingering and I just it was mm-hmm. I was often different than other boys my age and so in order to distance myself from that like confirmation that people were going to like get about me that I was gay I just like yeah like I like you said um stopped talking about sex or like really distance myself from those conversations same with relationships or like interest in girls like I would maybe like plant a seed here and there and be like oh yeah like she's pretty or like she's hot (laughs) but like If there even, like, a conversation about a guy being attractive came up, I, like, either, like, diverted the conversation or just, like, completely shut down and, like, really tried to get away from it because I even just felt uncomfortable even, like, as someone, as now, like, I am, like, a firm believer, obviously, in, like, men appreciating other men's beauty, like, those kinds of things, even if they are, like, identify as heterosexual. But at that time, I just, like, didn't know that, like, that's something that was going to be perceived as like people, if I said like, oh yeah, that guy is like good looking, like game over, like confirmation. Mm-hmm. We have like we have that confirmation now, um, and just yeah, growing up, people are terrible. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I really distanced myself from those conversations, and that like really has had I feel like a profound impact on how I still view sex and relationships. Like I said, I, I came out when I was twenty one, and I to this day still view. I, pr- I pretty much see it as when I came out, it's kind of like when my teenage years started all over again. Mm-hmm. Because like, I wasn't even like trying to like date in secret or like, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't trying to have intimate relationships with other men when I wasn't out because I just had such a strong fear of being caught. Mm-hmm. So when I did decide to come out and now it's been like almost five years, I, f- I feel like even now I'm still kind of going through that like teen phase where I'm just like, I still have so much left to experience, and it's such a growing, like a transformational period of my time, or my life, I should say. Um, And so I I just feel like even now, I'm just exploring so much more. And this is kind of things I feel like a lot of people who identify as straight and don't necessarily have these same challenges in high school kind of go through then, and I'm going through those now.
0: Yeah, and what I love about the way that you described that is it really highlights how foundational that time in our lives is and folks who identify as straight are allowed to go through that journey when you know biologically it starts for them you know when they go through puberty when their hom- hormones start to change you know we we cherish memories of high school in our culture of just like you know falling for people and gossiping with their friends about who's hot and who did you kiss you know, uh, on the football field or I don't even know wherever they kiss these (laughs) days. But like to have that taken away from you is fundamentally – wrong you know I mean and and it could be it could be remedied so easily by introducing the fact that sexuality is a spectrum and introducing comprehensive sex ed because it gives folks that don't identify as straight um, a way to see themselves and it gives their peers a way to learn about the spectrum of sexuality in a way that's safe and healthy and accurate and inclusive and without that you know, We rob so many LGBTQ young people of a really, you know, exciting and sexy time in their lives.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. I think that like if I had heard the word or like heard the acronym LGBT, because at that time, I think that's what most people were referring to, even just like how much has changed in the past like 10 years um, with regards to like trans visibility and education and awareness around trans rights, just like even hearing someone say like lesbian and gay in a very like casual and positive tone would have like completely changed so much for me. And I think I when I look back, it's actually why I block out a lot of my my high school memories is because I don't identify with that person anymore. Like I really wasn't myself because I was shutting down so many things about myself. And like I kind of wish I could go back for a second and be like, where was I mentally at that time because, I think I was just compartmentalizing so many parts of my life and really trying to like shut out the ones I didn't want to address. And so it's just, it's been such a process where it's like almost like I'm just completely like, I've like started over in so many aspects and then still trying to carry along the pieces of me that I like did, I did love and how, like that those are the parts of me that continue to grow. Whereas like there's some parts where I completely just like shut down and then like turned back on a switch. And it's just, it's very interesting to think about and Sometimes I catch myself in different situations where I'm just like, oh, wow, this is a reflection of that period in, of time in my life that could have been completely different if, like you said, I was even just given some form of like positive representation or education surrounding the parts of me that I was like conditioned to believe were wrong or societal expectations or assumptions made me believe that I was like some sort of form of outsider those years of your life are so foundational, and um, it, it's ju- it's just very telling in who I am now, and what wh- what kind of journey I'm still on to, kind of find comfort and acceptance in the way I navigate my relationships and sex and all those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like we just simultaneously answered all the questions in this one rambling dialogue, which I truly love to see. (laughs) Um, So is there anything else about your experience in high school that you feel like maybe we didn't touch on that was important to you? And we obviously talked about your sexuality, um, a little Mm -hmm. bit about your gender. Were there any other intersecting identities that um, impacted the way that you experienced sex education or your sexuality in high school?
1: I I like I mentioned before I grew up in a very like white town so everything was like very white centric and I think that when I like even to this day I'm just like growing to to see how as like a white gay man I'm like still so lucky in comparison to like so many other marginalized groups like I think of one thing that we're not often taught about at all is HIV AIDS we just released a report earlier this year at GLAAD that showed that so many people are still so completely unaware of and lack knowledge surrounding HIV and like what kind of prevention measures there are for HIV at this moment, so many people think that you can still like, if someone has HIV and is HIV positive, that like touching them can, you can contract HIV, which is just like reflective of the stigma and how much discrimination there was towards people living with HIV like specifically starting in like the the AIDS epidemic of the 80s until now there's just there like media hasn't done um enough really to kind of change that narrative like black and brown communities are so much more disproportionately affected by it and lack access to resources um and so I guess it's something I've just been so much more aware and have been educating myself about as like a white gay man. I'm still so much more like in a privileged position to have access to these things and to have access to information in particular that allows me to even know that this is something that I should be educating myself on. So I would say that like, that's been something that's pretty top of mind for me, um, especially and something that informs a lot of my work. I guess I've just been kind of understanding how my identities and my intersecting identities influence how I navigate through the world as it is currently.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. And it's it's such a testament to the fact that like, we don't really see whiteness as being a culture or even being a race, right? Like whiteness is just seen as like the norm, the default. And so oftentimes I think as white people, we don't even realize that we have a white lens on because everything around us is shown to us through that lens, especially you know, as young people, if we're not given the language to talk about that. So it's so important to reflect on the privilege that we have you know, as white folks in the space. Pulled up a little factoid to bring it back to sex ed. Um, <laughs> only 20 states in America require that when you're talking about HIV, that information on condoms and contraception be included. So that oh means there's folks running around teaching about HIV and not talking about condoms or contraception, aka abstinence only. Like it's wild when we teach about HIV with, it goes without saying that we need to be teaching about condoms, right. And cotton prep and pet, but like t- only 20 States require that you have to talk about condoms and contraception when you're talking about HIV, which is just so wild.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's just like super reflective of how far, like we still haven't come in so many regards to like the stigma that was surrounding gay men and bisexual men and men who have sex with men from the 80s like when people were calling aids like a gay cancer and they're pretty much just saying like stop having sex then and they're like oh no like like you can have safe sex and not contract HIV Mm um and people were just like people's like solution, which is like, no, like gay men need to stop having sex. It's a reflection of the fact that like, it's not natural for this to happen. And it's just, and and, like, we're we're still like, we're still not like fully out of, Mm. to an extent that mentality, which is like so sad, but it, it really just comes through like the fact that even if you know a gay person or an LGBTQ person in your life, there's still so much discomfort with talking about gay sex And like the fact that more people know people in their life who identify as LGBTQ or along the the spectrum, how often do you really engage in conversations about sex with them? Mm -hmm. Like how much are you actually educating yourself about what the different challenges or different types of things that they need to educate themselves about in regards to their sex life? Because the more that we normalize those conversations, then we're going to decrease stigma surrounding HIV as well.
0: Yeah. And I want to shout out one of our uh, other episodes on this podcast. I interviewed a friend of mine, Gene, and um, his, we wrap up at the end to talk about what you wish your journey would have looked like. And he said, I just wish someone taught me about anal sex. I would have saved myself so much pain and time. Just goes back to the idea that the, that erasure is sending a very clear message mm-hmm. about that particular sex act. You know, by not talking about it, we're letting folks know that one, that they shouldn't do it. And two, if they do it, they should be ashamed of it. If we had been given any information about different types of sex acts, maybe we wouldn't have that um, that sort of added on knee-jerk reaction of, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know anything about this. I don't know what to say.
1: Right. No, totally. And I, I think that um... – It's so telling of the fact that, like, to this day, I, like, still am, like, learning so much on my own about anal sex. I find myself teaching people often about what people refer to as sex um, positions for men in relationships with other men, like, just being a top or, like, a verse or bottom. And it just, it's so interesting because that's, like, common language now that, like, I am, like, so, like that I'm part of the community, like obviously, but for straight people who just like don't know these terms, it's just like very interesting to me because like, these are not things that heterosexual people or people who identify as heterosexual often talk about, or I guess exposed to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as more people are exposed to people in their lives who like identify as not straight, they, like, they're they going to eventually get more exposure to these things. But I agree. I I wish that someone had told me like taught me about anal sex, I wish that someone had just even told me that a man having sex with another man is not like the world's greatest sin. (laughs) Like I, it's just.
0: Wouldn't that have been nice to hear? (laughs)
1: Yeah. I, I mean, like I think back to all those years, I totally understand that my parents would have never really had like the proper terminology or things to talk to me about, about sex in the way that like i would have sex and so we're currently in a generation where and people who identify as lgbtq often have to find that information on their own or they have to find someone they trust in their lives so who's gonna be able to give them that information and what i think is really promising is that like i now know that if i've ever became a parent or anybody my age who is going to become a parent it's going to be different mm-hmm. and it's not something that I think people often like think about. I think LGBTQ people are becoming parents at greater rates than ever before. But like no one ever, I don't think like necessarily pinpoints that, that part of it. Like I'll mm-hmm. be able to have a conversation with my children about if like they identify as straight about having sex and then also like flipping the switch and doing it for like if my child identifies as anything other than straight. I think that's really promising. It's kind of also beautiful and like, it's just a reflection of how Generationally, like how much we change, but also it it also brings me hope that like if my even if my like sister for some reason like didn't have the resources didn't feel like she had the resources she could also come to me and like for her children. So I think we're bridging these gaps, and I I think that sadly my experience might have not been the best thing ever. I think I turned it all right. You
0: sure did, Spence.
1: (laughs) But there's so much that has changed in, in a positive aspect, and there's still so much we have left to improve upon so much Heather. to do yes
0: <laughs> yeah i think what it is is a really good reminder we were talking about kind of like having our white glasses on and not even realizing it it's the same with heterosexuality right like that's the default so everyone has the language to talk about heterosexuality and heterosexual sex because that's the default that's the norm also big air quotes happening And so if you don't engage in that type of sexual activity, you're still literate in that type of sexual activity because you didn't have a choice. That's just what you were taught as has how people have sex, you know? And mm-hmm. so if you are engaging in any type of sex outside of, you know, heterosexuality or, or your sexuality is anything outside of that, you automatically have all the language or at okay. least the language of heterosexuality and the language of whatever sexuality you might be practicing and growing up in a space when you didn't have that, just makes you all the more motivated to ensure that the next generation doesn't have to deal with that, you know?
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: And I think it, it also places that burden, you know, it places that burden of having to be the educator, having to be the one to say, well, this is how you have anal sex, right? Because no one else is going to tell you, you know?
1: And that's where like I think media just plays like such an important role because the more we start just actually telling those stories in like nuanced and multidimensional ways and ways that are tools of education themselves, then Say someone, a teen doesn't feel comfortable going to their parents, regardless of whether their parents have that those resources or not, they can look to other pieces of media to explain that for them. There's so much out there now. And I think we just have to be like super responsible in how we are like creating content that's going to actually positively change these conversations. And just like you said, like make it almost less of a burden on the people growing up now and feeling like they, are free, more free to talk about sex openly. I am, I'm hopeful, but um, like I said, there's just so much that still hasn't been done. There's so many stories that need to be told that aren't being told. And also mm-hmm. that's why it's so important to put the right people in the, in the room for those conversations.
0: Coming back to representation matters, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, so we're already kind of on the bring it on home train with our hopeful <laughs> predictions for the future. And we touched on some of this. So I'll just give you an opportunity to add on if you have anything else. How do you think your sex education journey has impacted your relationship to sex today, as well as your relationship to to just romance, whichever you're comfortable speaking on?
1: I would say that the absence of sex education in my life has just really kind of put me on a journey where it's taken me a lot longer to come to a level of comfort with not only my sexuality, but my my ability to engage with sex, like at a at a level that's like super comfortable. I think that, as I mentioned before, I kind of still feel like I'm in like a teen exploratory stage of my life, which like, to an extent can be fun, but also like, it's so interesting because now I'm like 26 and then your, your kind of mentality all starts to to switch towards other stages of life that are like conditioned and like really thrust upon you societally, Mm -hmm. like marriage and like having kids. So it's just like, there's this weird part where now I feel like I'm in that in between where I'm like, okay, I need to, still explore so many parts of myself, but then get back onto that track. So I feel like intimacy wise, I think that there's still so much more that I need to find comfort in even just having relationships with men. Like I think there's so many fears that are still in the back of your mind, regardless of how comfortable you you become in your sexuality that for so long you suppressed it. So Mm -hmm. it's really growing out of those things that you learned and there's so much I'm learning to do, not only internally, but externally, like internalized homophobia is like a very real. And I'm not sure it's anything that I'll ever actually like be completely void of. But I think that the more that you put yourself in situations where you, in your mentality, like normalize the facts like of being in public with another man, like holding hands, being intimate. And then also like talking about sex is only going to normalize it for other people so like unfortunately sometimes there is that kind of like burden on you to be that kind of trailblazer in certain situations where like you have other people around you who just aren't ever exposed to that on a regular basis but at the end of the day that's also just such a better way for you to feel comfortable at least for myself that's how i felt and i kind of feel like is how we're on a path towards like creating a better future for the people that come after us who are also in the same position. So it's all, it's all learning. It's all learning curve. It's all a, it's stepping stones really. And I I feel like even in the past five years of coming out, like I've grown so much, but there's still so much left that I feel like I still need to unpack. So excited to do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Forever growing and changing and exploring.
1: Like, literally pretty much. I I feel so lucky to, like, live in a time where these things are, are, like, so much more accepted. Like, we owe so much to the people that were fighting against the stigma and discrimination and, like, starting at, even before Stonewall.
0: And we know that it's disproportionately black and brown trans folks that suffered, you know? Right. And then
1: we still see that um, black and brown trans folks are the ones that are being murdered, um, at disproportionate rates. And it's like an mm-hmm. epidemic of violence. And this year was the deadliest year on record, um, mm-hmm. for trans anti-trans violence and murder. So it's just, it's like, how do we, how are we actively taking steps to make sure that like trans people are supported in uplifted, um, in life as they are in after like in death, really, because mm-hmm. it seems these days that, all people are really focusing on is the fact that we honor we honor trans people after their after their lives right and so we just need to start actively making sure that we're creating a culture of acceptance and inclusion that uplifts trans people so that this epidemic of violence is not accelerating at the rate it is right now i think it's just really about Again, I bring it back to media, and it's so—it's so much of my work that I do. So I—I'm really passionate about talking about it. But like, the more we see these normalization of these stories, and that we see that like trans people like being successful, and not highlighting or villainizing or framing trans people as others, is something that's super important.
0: Yeah, and I think that highlights the reality that anti-racism work is integral to comprehensive sex education. I mean, it's integral to everything, right? But particularly comprehensive sex ed. So last but not least, um, knowing what you know now, what do you wish that your sex ed journey could have
1: looked like? I, (laughs) I wish that my sex ed journey was just far more comprehensive and thread throughout my entire high school experience. I wish it started younger. I wish that there were conversations that were about sexuality, even if they were like loose conversations about it. I mean, I'm asking a lot. I grew up at, at a Catholic school. I would have loved, though, if we talked about the spectrum of sexuality, gender identity. I wish that I was taught about gay sex and anal sex and the different types of risks that were involved with gay sex. Um, and the pleasures. And having sex with men. I would ask, like, a full textbook. like
0: <laughs> Yeah, like, give it all to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a whole conversation about, like, at what age you're supposed to be teaching people this. But the, the, the thing is that, like, sex is inevitable. And the earlier, and, like, you know this, obviously, like, the earlier you actually start talking about these things openly, the less ashamed people are and the more responsible they're going to be when engaging in sex. So I, I honestly just wish that these conversations were normalized and the more that we're actually talking with children and teens about these things, even if they don't identify as LGBTQ, they also become more aware of the fact that these are the lived realities of other people and then it doesn't become this stigmatized conversations. I guess my, my wish was that I was even giving, given like some sort of hope or a glimpse of what my life could look like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, I feel like at the end of every episode, I come to this conclusion. It's like so much needs to be done to fix Mm -hmm. the sex education system, but also a couple of things here and there would even make a massive difference, you know?
1: Right. Right. Maybe like, I think back to it, it's like, who knows if I would have been comfortable with my phys ed teacher teaching me everything about it. Like maybe that's not what I want. Yeah, for
0: sure. Like maybe just not have a PE teacher.
1: (laughs) Right. If we don't have professionals, like bring in a professional that is going to be able to talk about these things in a clear, nuanced and a comforting way. People need to feel comfortable talking about these things. And I think oftentimes the reason why we still don't feel comfortable is because we weren't taught to feel comfortable.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So any parting words of wisdom for the people out there?
1: I would just say start asking questions at a younger age. Oftentimes, it's a lot easier said than done. But if you have like a couple people in your life who you feel like you can talk to about these things, whether it be your sexuality or questions you have about sex in general, don't hold off on doing it because there's no reason to feel ashamed about asking those questions. It's a natural part of life. The more open we are about it, the more we are able to create in this culture of inclusion where we shouldn't feel ashamed of our bodies or of our sexuality or of who we are.
0: Great advice for everyone of all ages. Yeah. We should never stop questioning and learning about who we are and who we love.
1: Yeah, if you're like a 37-year-old straight white dude and you want to know about gay sex, ask a question. Like you should, like, you know what I mean? I just feel like we need to really knock down these barriers that like are still preventing people from like even having a conversation, like heterosexual relationships. Like people are, there's still stigma around like talking about different sexual positions. Like it's like, how do we, how are we, how are we still there? But
0: barely getting through conversations about heterosexual sex. Let's be real.
1: (laughs) We didn't really talk about that, but like it's completely true.
0: I mean, Uh, that's hanging on by a thread. It's not as if that's the gold standard of how we're going to be doing it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It starts, I feel like one-on-ones, like it starts like you and I talking about it. And then we continue to open up these doors that have been closed for so long.
0: Absolutely. Words of wisdom to end on. So since you do awesome, great work, is there a place where folks can find your work and read and read what you write for Glad and, and follow along with you?
1: Yeah, for sure. Glad.org is where all of our resources are kind of centrally there also on social media at glad. And a lot of the work that we do is obviously focused on like media representation and working through media to kind to tell the stories of LGBTQ people in so many different ways. I would say start there. There's so many different other LGBTQ organizations that do great work in the space which you can find through our website and you can always find me on social media too. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out.
0: All right. Do you want to drop your handle or no?
1: Sure. At Spence Harv on Instagram and at Spencer Harv on Twitter.
0: Um, <laughs> okay, Spencer, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This was fantastic. And I look forward to many more conversations like this in the future.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: You can find the show on Instagram at SexEdRewind or online on my website at caroconfort.me. I drop new episodes to podcast platforms every Monday. The cover art and website are by Kelsey Reifler, and the podcast is produced and edited all by me.